Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, man, it feels so bad to lose, especially in the way that we lost. We, did, we weren't really competitive in many respects. We're going to break the game down. Uh, a lot that I want to say about this. We've got a good top ten list today. Uh, it's requested by our loyal listener, Melanie Moody. So, uh, some uh, tragic events over the weekend kind of led us to uh, do something a little bit uh, different today. We're the top ten list, so we're going to talk about that. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not good. It's not good. You say, well, you know, Steve, we're four and four. But here's the deal, you know. We shouldn't be in this situation. Now, I can sit here and I can say, you know what, hey, you know what? Not having Will Rogers for a couple weeks, that's a difference in the ballgame. I mean, Will has absolutely destroyed Auburn over the course of the last uh, few years. He has, I think, 82% completion percentage against them and uh, nine touchdowns, something ridiculous like that. Will has owned Auburn throughout his career. He has. And to think that that might have made a difference is, uh, yeah, it's something you got to consider. You didn't have Woody Marks. He's RB1 for a reason. That's not to say that our running backs didn't play hard. They did. I also want to comment on something, too, that's making the rounds, because anytime somebody says something, people kind of accept it as fact, especially when there is an, a negative impression of Mississippi State. Uh, I don't know the guy's name. It was tweeted out yesterday and about um, Auburn – picked up on the uh, signals of Mississippi State. I've confirmed today that that is completely false. And it's also kind of an interesting self-own in many respects because State was actually better offensively in the second half than the first. So if you picked up the signals in the first or the second quarter, why was State more successful offensively in the third and fourth? But again, uh, I'm told today, and many of you can draw your own conclusions, where the information came from, it's not true. It's not true. But that's what happens when you lose. Everything is amplified. Everything. Everything sucks when you lose. Everything. And especially when you're not reaching expectations. It'd be one thing if we went over there and got beat 28-27 on the last second field goal. And as bad as the loss would feel, it wouldn't feel as bad as this one does. Uh, Probably good I didn't record the show yesterday. Uh, Probably not. And uh, I had some things to deal with yesterday. That, uh, yeah, sometimes you got to uh, speak up for yourself, right? You do. You do. Also went and saw uh, The Killers of the Flower Moon last night. Three and a half hour movie. Three hours, 26 minutes, I think, officially. If, uh, if you're on the fence about going, I encourage you to go. Uh, but um, maybe ensure that um, you're where you need to be from a bladder standpoint because it is a very lengthy movie. It is a very good movie. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I did. Mississippi State wins an exhibition basketball game uh, yesterday. Our Justin Frommer was there. And uh, three stories over at jeanspage.com. And, yes, we were the only Mississippi State media entity there, despite some rumors to the contrary. We were. And that's how it's going to be most of the time because we're going to make a real commitment to cover men's basketball this year that we haven't done in the past. So uh, going to do some road games. Uh, we believe it's going to be a really good season. And so we're going to allocate more time, effort, and resources to cover men's basketball. And uh, we went over and covered the, uh, the event in Columbus at the Air Base. We were the only Mississippi State media entity that went to SEC Media Day. Uh, had some exclusive content over at jeanspage.com. And again, the only Mississippi State media entity that attended yesterday's exhibition. And I want to commend Justin Farmer, too, uh, for hightailing it over to Auburn, 
covering the football game and then uh, spends the night, gets up at 5 a.m. yesterday morning, drives over to Hattiesburg. Kid didn't go home and uh, went and covered the game. And uh, fortunately, was able to see a Mississippi State win. And uh, we kind of get a sense, too, kind of where we are, you know, without Tolu. It's going to be, uh, listen, Chris Jans, the challenge for this coaching staff is uh, much greater than we had heard, certainly hoped. And we have a lot of faith in Chris and his staff. Uh, so we're still expecting a good season. And by the time Tolu gets back, we, uh, we hope to be in a good position. We've got a non-conference schedule that's uh, maybe not as challenging as some years past. But, uh, you know, we've got some games, too. We're going to have to play well to win. We're not just going to be able to just show up and be granted a victory by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, let's get to it. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company, and so should you. Part of a great group of restaurants called the Eat With Us Group that has served the Golden Triangle low these many years. They know what it takes to feed folks and give you a great atmosphere, great food at a great price. Bulldog Burger Company, of course, uh, one of my favorite places to go and break bread. When you put your feet under their table, you know the consistency and quality you can expect. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. This is a fantastic place for a night out with friends or a night out with family. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. I encourage you to, to kind of experiment a little bit with your selections. If you're a first-time Bulldog Burger diner, I would encourage you get the Bulldog Burger itself. Just start there, okay? And you're going to be so impressed with the quality, you're going to keep coming back. I have had every burger on the menu. I think I've had every item on the menu, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I love going in there. I'm in there regularly. And it's so funny, I run into some of you, and you're like, oh, funny running into you here. Yeah, well, not really. Uh, I do enjoy the Sloppy Joe sliders, those uh, sweet heat chicken sandwiches. Uh, there is a lot to love at Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and treat your fist, yourself to a great restaurant-quality hamburger the next time you're in town. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's get to it. We, uh, we win the toss and defer. And I thought that was a good thing. I was like, hey, you know, let's, you know, let's go on defense first. Maybe we can get a, uh, you know, get a three and out, maybe a five and out, get favorable field position, put ourselves in a situation to go uh, get an early lead. We talked about the importance of this first quarter. We needed to get the crowd out of it. We needed to get some confidence. We didn't need to end up chasing the game. Well, that's exactly what happened. We ended up chasing the game throughout and never really could get caught up. We had our chances. We blew him, but we defer, and uh, Nick Barmira, kind of an under underheralded hero for this team. What a weapon, man! You know, this is a guy that consistently puts the ball in the back of the end zone. There was one kick yesterday or Saturday, even one of the Auburn staffers who was there uh, charting the game and doing some things for uh, the athletic department. It was one particular kick. He he just looked wow. Yeah, this kid doesn't get enough credit. What a great job he's done for Mississippi State. Get a touchback here. First and 10 from the Auburn 25. They immediately go to Jarquez Hunter. You knew he'd be a big part of things. He's kind of the straw that stirs the drink there. He gets 11 yards on the first game. Uh, first and 10 now at the Auburn 36. They go back to the right side with Hunter for four. And then Peyton Thorne completes it to Caleb Burton. Uh, 15 yards, a little bit run after the catch there. He uh, shakes loose and Decam's able to get the tackle. But it's first and 10 now as we approach midfield. Uh, Peyton Thornton incomplete. They take a shot to Malcolm Johnson Jr. It's not there. Second and ten, you think, okay, this is our chance here because 
Well, I thought what Auburn did a really good job of is what Arkansas did in the week before. Arkansas consistently fought the chains. Auburn did a really good job of staying on schedule and winning on first downs and putting themselves kind of in second and medium and in third and short, and they're able to get things done. Well, this is one of those situations where they don't. But at second and ten, they go back to Hunter, who runs for 11. And the deal with this, man, we could not get off blocks. And that's the most disconcerting thing to me about the game uh, as far as playing the Tigers. We just simply couldn't get off blocks. We couldn't get a lot of negative plays in the backfield, especially early on. Third and three, they gift us a false start. Now, all of a sudden, it's third and eight. So, you know, like, all oh, this has all been so great. But now, you know, they're off schedule. We give it right back. Nathan Pickering lines up offsides, makes it third and three. They get it out to Jay Fair for four yards. The chains move. Now, first and ten from our 34. They get it back out to Jay Fair for seven. Run out of bounds. And on second and three, they lay it up. They go at the freshman, uh, Bryce Pollock, lay it up there. And uh, it's a catch. He shakes loose, touchdown, 7-0. Alex McPherson converts the extra point. It's, you know, we're already down one. I'm thinking, okay, well, let's just put a drive together. Maybe we can go answer here. We do put a drive together. We didn't finish it, but we did put a drive together. Again, uh, touchback on the kickoff. First and 10, instead of us coming out running the patented uh, zone read off left tackle, we get Xavier Thomas on a crossing route. Not the best of throws, but – in the box score, it looks perfect, right? And Savion, really great effort here, 32 yards on this play. And if we'd seen him earlier, actually might have scored. We kind of led him too far to the, to the sideline there. But uh, uh, let's not critique it too difficult, right? And let's not make it too, you know, be critical here. Really good play to start. First, first and 10 now at the Auburn 43. We take a shot with Justin Robinson. That's incomplete. We uh, run Tulu off the right side for 17 yards. And it's now first and 10 at the Auburn 26. You think – I didn't expect a shootout, but here we go. First and 10, Mike Wright runs off left side for three. On second and seven, we give it to Tulu again uh, for a one-yard gain. Keontae Scott, who's been back in action now for two weeks with the tackle. Uh, Third and six, it's across the middle to Xavion for five. Brings up a fourth and one. We go. And Mike Wright runs for two yards and moves the chain. Now we're at the Auburn 15. Right now we're pretty optimistic we're going to put the ball in the end zone. At least I was. We give it to Jeffrey Pittman, gets five tough yards inside and really just kind of moved the pile like an old rugby scrum, makes it second and five. Mike runs off left side at the Auburn 10, gets nothing, makes it third and five. We throw a pass to Justin Robinson, and uh, he's in double coverage here, and we throw it high, and you think he's the only guy that can catch it. We nearly threw it through the upright. So I don't know if this is a situation where Mike just didn't like it and said, hey, let me just throw this thing away, and we'll kick the field goal. But it really wasn't a competitive situation there. And uh, maybe give Auburn credit for kind of snuffing it out. But uh, we needed to get seven points here. We did, and we do get the field goal. So it's 7-3, so you, you get something. Now you need to get a stop from your defense. Another kickoff uh, sells out of the end zone for a touchback. First and 10 now at the Auburn 25. Uh, Thorne complete the Brown off the left side for six. Again, second medium, second four. Thorne takes off and runs for eight. Moves the chains. First and 10, not the Auburn 39. It's complete to Rivaldo Fairweather for six. It's a great name. Against second, medium. Against second, four. Here we go. They're winning on first down. They get it to Malcolm Johnson for 10, another first down. Now we go 45 yards, take a shot here. And uh, I, I haven't went, gone back and watched the game, but it is clear they schemed us up right here because we're chasing uh, Javarius Johnson. There's nobody within a reasonable distance of him. 
And so they, they, they scheme us up, they get him wide open, and a good pass from Thorne, extra points good. It's 14-3, and right now many Bulldog fans are thinking we're about to get blown out. Good thing is we did make some adjustments. But a great start by the Auburn offense that has uh, been very anemic this year. I read the numbers yesterday, shared this on Bo Bounds this morning. Prior to Saturday, Auburn had scored on their initial drive just one time all year. That was against UMass in the season opener. They're more likely to turn it over. They've got a pick and a fumble and a turnover on downs on their first drive in three other games. A couple of times they punted. All right, first and ten now uh, is the uh, the ball is out of bounds. Excuse me. And so State takes over to 35. Davis, who has really shown some flashes as a freshman, runs at the middle for six on second and four. Now we're in second medium. Mike Wright, nice pass here to Xavion Thomas for 18. On top of that, uh, it's uh, defensive holding. So now it's first and 10 at the Auburn 49. And you think, okay, we're rolling on here. Got a chance to go uh, you know, get a touchdown pull within four again. Davis runs off left side for one, second and nine. We get it to Tulu for four, third and five here. We give it to Pittman, who runs for one yard at the middle, and we end up punting. Andrew Osteen with a 40-yard punt down at the Auburn three. Now, if you can get a stop here, you should get favorable field position. Auburn drive begins at their three. Hunter runs for six. They go Ashford comes in. This is probably a good situation for him. He runs for six, too, moves the chains out to the Auburn 15. First and ten, they give it to Hunter for one. That runs out the first quarter with Auburn leading 14 to three. Second and nine, they give it to Hunter, who runs for 32 yards. We just can't, couldn't stop the run early in this ballgame. Just couldn't get it done. First and 10 out near midfield. Now Hunter then goes for eight. And then there is an OPI called, and it was an obvious call. Shane Hooks pushes off and then makes a really good catch along the sidelines. I admired the artistry, but it was illegal. Now makes it second and 17. Here you go. Finally get him behind the chains. They get it out to Brian Batie for 11, and on third and six, uh, the pass is complete, but State makes a big tackle here. John Lewis threw in the honors, forces the punt. Now it's down at our three-yard line. So you're down 11 here, and uh, you got to go 97 yards. That's kind of where we were. All right, but drive begins at 12.04. Jeffrey Pittman up the middle for a one-yard loss. Eugene Asante with a big tackle, arguably the best defensive player out of Auburn. Second 11, Mike gets loose and runs for 13 yards to move the chain. So you think, if nothing else, we're not punting from the shadow of our own end zone. First and 10, we're complete to Xavier Thomas for five, gives a second medium at second five. Mike runs off the left side for one. And on third and four, we take a shot here down to Jordan Mosley and uh, just couldn't get the completion here. Uh, Asante in the grill of one Mike Wright. And then we end up punting. 39-yard punt. It's returned eight yards there at midfield. Right now, you're expecting them to score. And guess what? They do. First and 10 from uh, the Auburn 48. Thorne is incomplete. And they flag us for offsides. Deontay Anderson there makes it now first and five. And then they get flagged. Now, pardon me. It's incomplete. They flag Sean Preston for holding. I remember this play distinctly. And, yes, I believe it was the right call here. Uh, unfortunate call, but it was the right call. First and 10 from the 37. Uh, Austin runs for five at the middle. Again, second medium, second and five. They're going to go for six here. Peyton Thorne himself makes it first and 10. Incomplete to Caleb Burton on first and 10. Second and 10. Chance for us to get off the field here, you would think. No. They get it to Fairweather again for five. 
Third and five here, and nice play here by Decam breaks it up, forces a field goal attempt. It's good, 17-3. So they take that sweet field position and expand the lead. Now we get a chance uh, to get it out around the 25 after the touchback. And uh, we're incomplete to Justin Robinson. On second and 10, Jeffrey Pittman runs for eight hard yards. Kid really plays hard for us. Third and two. Uh, we throw it left to Freddie Roberson and uh, Caleb Wooden in his face. We end up having a punt. Keelan Crimmins, nice punt here, 54 yards down to the Auburn 13. But this was a missed opportunity, right? Three and out. They've scored, expanded the lead to two touchdowns. we got to do something here more than just uh, play field position. And, again, a three and out drive here. All right, Auburn now takes over at their 13. Hunter runs up the middle for a two-yard loss. Nice play here for Jed Johnson, who met him in the hole. Second and 12, Ashford runs at the middle for two. And here we are, again, third and long. Third and 10, false start makes it third and longer. Third and 15, they decide to basically just run the draw and punt. And uh, Nathan Pickering stacks it up there for no gain. So Auburn's now punting from their eight-yard line. It's a 44-yard punt to the state 48. Now you think, okay, we've played the field position game here. We should be able to go do some good things, and we should have. We didn't finish this drive. First and 10 from our 48, Davis runs off left side for nine and then go back to him off the right for four. Now it's already first and 10 at their 39. The clock is winding. We're in the four-minute drill. You start thinking, we got a chance to go two for one here. If we can go get points here, preferably a touchdown, and then get the ball coming out of the half – we could tie this thing up early in the third quarter and have a real dogfight on the plains of Auburn. That was the plan. None of that went to uh, the way we wanted it to. None of it. All right, first and 10 from their 39 were incomplete to Xavion. And on second and 10, Mike gets loose and runs for seven, brings up a manageable third and three. We go off left side with right for two, makes it fourth and one. Now, in postgame, Zach Arnett said we should have kicked field goal here. I completely disagree. Completely disagree. I think this was absolutely the right decision to go. Our execution of the play, not so much. We run the zone read here, and if Wright doesn't pull it, if we give it to Seth Davis, it appears that he is going to make the first down easily. Wide open hole. It may have run inside the red zone. Mike keeps it and slips and is tackled for a two-yard loss. And right now you're thinking, we just got to get off the field here. We cannot give up points here. This was the difference in the ballgame in many respects. As I noted in my play-by-play article uh, at the time, Auburn probably felt like, you know what, I got a chance to go put this thing away. They do, right? They do. All right, first and 10 from their 32. Very efficient drive here for the Tigers. Hunter runs up the middle for six. On second and four, it's incomplete. And on third and four, across the middle, they hit Javarius Johnson for 14. Now the ball's across midfield. Uh, with under a minute to play, they call timeout 42 seconds. And you're thinking maybe they get a field goal here, but no. No, no. Peyton Thorne incomplete to Fairweather again for 11 to the state 37. Incomplete to Camden Brown makes it second 10 from our 37. And again, the clock's not really moving here, right? We're, they're doing a good job here because under two minutes, the clock's going to stop on the first down anyway. But they're doing a good job managing the clock and getting some chunk plays here. On second 10, uh, they get it out to Jarquois Hunter who shakes a tackle and then is down at our 16-yard line. Peyton Thornton runs up the middle for, for nine to the state seven-yard line, brings up a second and one play. Yeah, tick, 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 right? And then they, they lay it up, and it's a touchdown to Jeremiah Cobb. And at this point, the game's over. The game is over. It's just a matter of what the final score is going to be. Extra point is good. It's 24-3. to uh, We get, get the squib kick, and uh, we just kneel it and get into the locker room, down 24-3. to And, you know, you're hoping 
right, that you're able to do some things here. But at this point, nobody's expecting State to come back and win its football game. All right, so we open up the second half. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Trying to climb back in this thing. It is a 59-yard kick to the state six. Tulu gets a 21-yard return. You're thinking, man, if he could bring this thing back, maybe we can climb into it and uh, give him credit for doing the best he could under the circumstances. But uh, first and 10 now at our 27, we give it to Pittman, who runs to the middle for five. And then on top of that, they flag a personal foul on Mississippi State. A crackback block. I didn't like the call. The one last week, perfect sense to me. I, I don't like this call at all. Not to mention, this is in the box. But the rules are the rules. They flag us. I don't agree with it. Now it's first and 20. So it's basically a drive killer. Right out of the gate, the first play you run of the second half should be a second five. Instead, it's first and 20. Excuse me. Excuse me. First and 27. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself because we have so many penalties here. 
All right, so it's first and 20 after the uh, the blindside block, and then we get flagged for holding. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Freddie Roberson is flagged on this. Now it's first and 27. So our first two plays of the second half, after our adjustments, after our rah-rah speech and everything else, we come out and do two things, ride the gate to kill the strife. First and 27, uh, Mike runs for seven, and on second 20, it's incomplete. They flag us for flag them for holding. So they bail us out here. DJ James, former, uh, excuse me, uh, Marcus Harris uh, from Auburn flagged here. DJ James was uh, on the blitz there. So they, they bail us out here. Despite our on and aptitude here, we have a first and 10 of 27. So basically back where we started, Mike's incomplete to Xavion for 12 out to the state 39. First and 10, we run Jeff Pittman at the middle for six. On second and four, we're incomplete to Justin Robinson, uh, Zachevius Walker in our face. Third and four, biggest play of the day, I think we could say. We give it to Seth Davis. Didn't have the juice to take it the distance, but, man, that he gashed this Auburn defense. And now all of a sudden, it's uh, 18 yards. Down to the Auburn 18, excuse me. First and 10, we give it to Davis again off the right side for two. Mike then runs left for two. That's third and six. And uh, I don't know what we're doing here. I believe this is the one where we had the, uh, the reverse where the receivers run into each other. Nine-yard loss. Fourth and 15, Ferry makes a field goal. So it's 24-6. It's still a three-score game. And the fact that we're able to put points on the board here after two drive-killing penalties is a miracle. But, again, give Auburn some credit, too, for aiding in our assist there. Uh, so it's 24-6. Auburn takes over at their 25 after the touchback. A false start penalty on Cam Stutz, a guy that we recruited out of high school, makes it first and 15. Peyton Thorne then runs right in the middle for 14. We get him behind the chains, and next thing you know, it's second short anyway. Hunter then runs to the middle for four to move the chains, first and 10 from the 38. Fairweather, complete to him again for nine, second short. Second one, we get Hunter for a three-yard loss here. Bookie Watson with a great play here, makes it third and four. And they swing it out to Hunter, who gets five yards and move chains. First and ten now from the Auburn 49. Uh, Brian Batie is tackled for a one-yard loss. They go back to him again, a one-yard gain here. Uh, makes it third and ten. Complete across the middle to Jay Fair for 14 yards. First down. First and ten now from our 37. Austin runs left for a gain of one, crumbling on the tackle. Second and nine, Peyton Thorne rushes for a one-yard gain. It's third and eight. We get out of second medium. We get out of second short. We're able to get off the field here. Completed Damari Austin. Big tackle by the Camryon Richardson there. Makes it fourth and four. Field goal's good. So it's right back to a three-touchdown lead. Touchback uh, on the kick from McPherson. All right, first and 10 now from our 25. We hit it at Xavion for 19. Xavion probably the best player on the, in the Mississippi State uniform on Saturday. First and 10, false start on Stephen Lasoya. Makes it first and 15. Pittman runs right for nothing. We go back to Pittman, who gets 22. We Again, but remember, they remember, according to this uh, Auburn guy, they had our signals, yet we're gashing them uh, for a couple big runs here. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? The box score doesn't match the social media commentary. And, again, some of you fell for it. and You just go run with it. If they had the signals and we were better offensively in the second half, then that would suggest that they're complete morons. 
All right, first and 10, we're going to get it out to Pittman for one. You know, second and nine, Mike Wright runs left for 11 yards to move the chains. First and 10, now Mike runs again for 13. We're moving it. We get into fourth quarter. Of course, it's too little too late. Uh, but but here we are. First and 10 from the Auburn 14, and Mike throws, throws it up to Xavion, who makes an absolutely incredible catch. I don't know how he made the catch, but he did. It'll go down in the uh, – and we do the team uh, party at the end of the year, and everybody gets to see the highlights. Uh, probably something that Xavion Thomas uh, made some money doing here. That's an incredible play. First and ten now uh, on the extra point, pardon me. And uh, after touchdown, I, I just blacked out thinking about that catch again. All right, it's 27-10, and then we have a chance here to, to really make something happen. Again, you're down two touchdowns with basically a quarter to go. We don't kick it out of the end zone, and Brian Batie – fumbles it forward he muffs it and they're able to get back on it man could imagine how big that would have been if we're able to cover that john lewis gets there and uh, is credited with a tackle but again auburn now you know backed up a little bit here at their own 14 yard line they run hunter off left side for three they go back to him for none brings up again third third and th- seven and we get off the field right when, when you're able to get out of when you get them off schedule a little bit you got a chance Peyton Thorne is complete to Camden Brown. And again, DeCamerion Richardson refused to yield here. Makes a big tackle short of the stick. They end up punting. And a chance for us, again, you start thinking here, if we can go score here, this thing could get awfully interesting to Jordan Hare. Mike Wright is complete to Xavion for a one-yard loss. Second and 11, Mike runs for a three-yard gain. And on third and eight, uh, we, you know, we get rushed here and um, incomplete to Tulu. Our whole sequence here wasn't good. Three and out drive. But give the defense some credit here. Um, and, I, and listen, let's be honest. Freezing these guys are just trying to take the air out of the tire, right? That's just the truth. They're just trying – they have a two-touchdown lead. Let's just keep the clock moving and get out of here. Maybe we can move the chains. But a three and out by your Bulldog defense. Give our guys a little bit of credit. Austin runs for a one-yard gain. Thorne and runs off left side for six. And then Austin runs the middle for two. Makes it fourth and one for the second consecutive drive. They like to punt, which is the correct football play. Touchback on the punt. State again, if we can get in the end zone here, it could be awfully interesting. First and 10 now from our 20. Uh, completed Xavion for 15 yards. Big, big game for Xavion Thomas. It's first and 10 from our 35. Davis runs at the middle for three on second and seven. False start on Percy Lewis. Makes it now second and 12. So, again, we're off schedule here. Incomplete from Mike. Get a little pressure in his face from Asante, third and 12. Uh, we get it out to Antonio Harmon, who breaks the tackle and sprints ahead for the first down. That's good to see there. First and 10 now, we uh, take a shot down the field to Tulu Griffin, and it's broken up by Keontae Scott. On second and 10, and again, we got a little bit impatient here, and we overthrow everybody other than Zion Pickett. Zion Pick Puckett, excuse me. And uh, he picks it off at the Auburn 5. Again, it's a first and 10 play that falls incomplete. It's second 10 on Auburn's side of the field. I don't know why we made the decision that we did. This was a bad decision, and it cost us. And as soon as this ball got picked off, I said, well, if there's ever any doubt, there's your ball game. Auburn takes over at their own five-yard line. And, again, you think, hey, we can get three and out again. Chance to get favorable field position. Plus, with with Xavion back there, you never know when he may get loose with one on a punt return. Uh, Hunter goes up the middle for nothing. Second and 10, incomplete to Malcolm Johnson. So it's third and you start thinking, third and 10, I'm in pretty good shape here, right? Third and 10, uh, it's a complete 
down the field for 17 yards. However, it's an eligible downfield, so it comes back. Now it's a third and 12. Again, third and long. We're able to get off the field. They decided to just run the football for no gain and punt. Now fourth and 12 from the Auburn three. And they get the punt off, 47 yards, and uh, we have to fair catch it at the state 50. Time is running short here, but you still have a chance to go make something happen. Still have a chance to go make something happen. You never know what could happen. Uh, complete to Tulu for a one-yard loss. And on second 11, we go back to Tulu for a 15-yard gain. And on first and 10 from the Auburn 36, it's incomplete to Xavion. Second 10, we run Mike up the middle for one. Third and nine now, we're complete to Creed Whittemore for seven. Short of the chains, but it's fourth and two. We go for it, and Jeffrey Pittman gets it. First and 10 now at the Auburn 26. Complete to Xavion for 11. You think, okay, we're going to put this ball in the end zone. First and 10 from the Auburn 15. We get it out to Pittman for just two. And on second and eight, incomplete to Xavion. Uh, We threw it, and he just didn't get his feet down. And, again, that's timing. And You know, Mike hadn't been out there a whole lot. If that ball is thrown maybe a foot more to the right, it's a touchdown. I thought even in live action that he was out of bounds, that they showed it in the press box, and it was obvious from the very first look that he was out of bounds. Uh, third and eight, incomplete to Antonio Harmon. I liked it. It was in the slot there. Ball was nearly picked, though. I liked the play selection. Execution, not so much. And on fourth and eight, we lay it up to Justin. Pretty obvious call here. He was out of bounds. But uh, that's it, Right. The rest of it's just kind of academic. That drive right there could have brought you within a touchdown uh, with three minutes to play. But Auburn did their best, right, to make sure. And I really think, again, Auburn was very conservative play calling in the second half, certainly in the fourth quarter. And Jarquez Hunter gets loose for 17 from the 13. And then the next thing you know, it's 50. So 67 yards on back-to-back carries for Jarquez Hunter, his best game against Mississippi State. First and 10 uh, from our 20. Uh, nice play by here by Corey Ellington, and uh, it's a six-yard loss. We call timeout trying to see if we can't make something happen. Second and 16, it's a uh, – if I remember correctly, this was, the, uh, this was the, the fumbled snap. I think that's correct. I think that's right. Uh, third and 25 now. We call timeout with a minute 18 to go. Third and 25, they take a shot down the field, and they call P.I. on decam. I thought it – you know, whatever. You know, whatever they want to do. Uh, first down, they just knew it out from there. But, uh, yeah, not good, man. Not not good. And uh, this is this is not a great Auburn team, okay? And, listen, you've seen the numbers. It's not like this is just a matter of opinion. This is a, an Auburn offense. It's really struggled. And, um, you know, what do we do? We give them the opportunity to put 24 points up in the first half. Give them some credit. But in postgame, people say we just we didn't come out like – what was the, the phrase, the, you know, with our heads on fire or whatever, our hair on fire – uh, guys, that's coaching, and uh, that's on Arnett and the staff. You know, of course, as a player, you got to bring your own motivation. But uh, the reality of this whole situation is, is the fact that you won last week and you knew you were playing an offense that you should be able to compete against this week, how could you not be motivated to go? And then they go out and score on the very first two drives of the game. You know, I understand scripting out that first drive. I get that aspect of it. I do. But this was just not a good opportunity for us, um, you know, to just decide that we wanted to give them a head start. And they got 24-3 at the break, man. I mean, it, and, and I, I've read some of these comments, too, as well. You know, we won the second half. doesn't matter. It means absolutely nothing. All it means is the game wasn't a blowout. 
Yeah, we won 10 to 3 in the second half. And, and again, I'm not going to take anything away from our kids, but Auburn got very conservative in that second half. They did. Say what you want, but they did. All right, looking at some numbers here, individual numbers. Mike Wright, 16 of 32 for 161 yards, one touchdown and a pick. Uh, Mike did throw a couple dimes I didn't expect. The one to Tulu was amazing. There was one to Zavion. It was a really good throw. He made some throws that I didn't expect him to make. Uh, the problem with Mike is when he misses, he usually misses high. And uh, that's when you get picked, right, which is what happened on the pick. Uh, Mike runs 14 times for 63 yards. Effective day by your quarterback, Seth Davis, seven carries for 62. Jeff Pittman, 10 for 51. Uh, Tulu, two for 18. You look at these running numbers and you think, you know, it's, again, it's interesting. We ran for 184 yards in the game. And this guy says they had our signals. Uh, again, I don't think that's what you think. Now, we ran the ball with greater success in the second half. So don't buy into any of that nonsense. Uh, the aforementioned Jarquez Hunter from the Shoba Central, 17 carries for 144 yards. Uh, nice game for him. Peyton Thorne, 20 of 26. That's a stat line that we have seen something similar most of the year. And, again, it's kind of a controlled passing game. They did take a couple shots. But by and large, they just kind of worked the east and west and worked those slant routes and made, uh, you know, low percentage passes. Right? I mean, I mean, excuse me, high percentage passes. They went out there and just kind of dinked and dunked and, and kind of you know, used our aggressiveness against us. I'm surprised we didn't see more screens considering how much pressure we decided to bring. But uh, 20 of 26, 230 yards, three touchdowns, long of 45. Just you – now you look at those numbers in the first half and it's like how did they get to be up 24 nothing? They did. Xavier Thomas, nine catches for 112 yards and a touchdown. Big game for him for sure. Auburn spread it around a great deal. You know, uh, they did. A lot of guys caught passes for the Tigers. Maybe 10 or so. Yeah, they, they absolutely – and a lot of it's because you don't have the dominant receiver. All right, defensive numbers. Uh, Bookie Watson with nine tackles. Jet with seven. Marcus Banks with six. Corey Ellington with six. We can run all down the list here. You know, Sean Preston with five. You know, uh, no sacks. And some of that, of course, is because of the fact that uh, how quickly they were getting the ball out. You know, I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of these, uh, you know, five and seven step drops. It just wasn't a lot of time to get there. They schemed us up in that respect. Uh, but the Bulldogs lose. And uh, it's, it's not good. It's not good. No matter what you tell yourself or how you feel about it, it's not a good situation. We're four and four with four games to play. We shouldn't be in a position that we're having a battle for bowl eligibility this year. And there were some fans beginning this year that said, you know, Steve, I just don't see it. I kind of agree with some people in the SEC media. You may be proven correct in that respect. But it's not going to be for the reasons that people suggested early on. They're like, oh, Will Rogers, Will Rogers, Will hadn't played the last two weeks. And if you don't think that hadn't had an impact, um, you know, I think you're kind of kidding yourself. And listen, I love Mike Wright. I think Mike's amazing. But Mike's got limits to what he can do, just like Will does. And there were some people, I think, that have, that have kind of come back to earth here. I think people thought, well, you know, Will Rogers' lack of mobility is limiting the offense. Well, you look at the other side of it is Mike Wright's inability to consistently throw the ball complete is limiting the offense. You know, so you got to have a guy that can do both. You know, it's, nowadays people have this, well, he's a true dual threat. I think if you can throw a little bit and run a lot, you're a dual threat. Now, you've got to have guys that are equally skilled to do both. So there are a lot of people out there that kind of put this responsibility of this team on Will Rogers' shoulders. And I can tell you Will would be willing to tote that if he was healthy. 
But there are a lot of people out there that said some things, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but uh, I'm going to keep it real with you. There were some people about a month ago, or maybe even three weeks ago, that said the only reason we're not playing Mike Wright is because we're so loyal to Will Rogers, we're out here chasing records. It was completely false. I don't know who started it. And maybe that was just your opinion. Of course, somebody kind of attributed that. Oh, this is what, what I'm hearing. That's nah, what you're thinking. Just honor for what it is. And I think now that you've seen Mike for a couple weeks, and again, I think Mike gives us an element we don't have. But what you've seen in games is actually a little bit better than what we've seen in practice. You know, Mike's a guy that just struggles at times with accuracy. And his throwing mechanics are, you know, yeah, work in progress. And again, Mike's out there giving us the best that he has, but he's not the pastor that Will Rogers is. And so my hope is now maybe some people will begin to maybe get off Will a little bit and understand you know, the bottom line is is that uh, we're limited at the quarterback position no matter who we go with. It wasn't a situation was we're just so loyal to Will, we're not being fair to Mike. That's completely false. It was false then, it's false now. Maybe some people see that. Now, I also don't agree with the people out there that just kind of dump all over Mike Wright. That kid's giving us the best that he can. And let's be honest about that. We went out and went to sign a backup. We, had, we got in this bad scholarship situation, you know, after Mike's untimely passing, Mike Leach. Um, you know, Braden Locke and Sawyer Robertson, those guys could get in the portal, and, and we were facing a situation where we had Will Rogers and Chris Parson as our only scholarship quarterback. So we had to go get somebody. We had to go get a backup by the portal. We did. We just didn't expect to be in a situation where we're going to have to play him in the middle of the season as our starter. So let's be fair to both guys here, right? Let's just be fair to them. And uh, I think, again, you look at this situation, what we've had offensively the last couple of weeks. Uh, do you think, honestly, ask yourself, would Will Rogers have made a bit of a difference? I think so. If you have Woody Marks on Saturday, does it make a bit of a difference? Yeah, I think so. Do we win the game? I don't know about that. I expected to win the game, even with what we had. And then we didn't find out until game time that Woody wasn't going to play. And that's a significant loss. There's a reason that he's RB1. But the game's behind us, and now we've got to get ready to go play Kentucky. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Guys, Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. Recently made the jump over to Priority One Mortgage. The same quality of service that you've grown to expect from Blair continues, no matter who's uh, writing the paychecks. This is a guy to get things done. Top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back-to-back years. Been doing this 22 years. You can entrust your mortgage into the hands of a lot of people, and that could be a risky proposition. You deal with a guy like Blair Chandler, a guy that's not out here chasing fees and things like that, like some other people are, going to get you the best deal possible. And more times than not, going to get you to the closing table. 601-500-2344. That goes directly to Blair. 601-500-2344. Whether you're looking to consolidate some debt, buy a home, I don't know what your needs are. But if you have needs when it comes to the mortgage industry, look no further than Mississippi State's own Blair Chandler. Multiple season ticket holder. Got it's a big part of the Mississippi State family. Uh, and I can tell you, this is a guy that uh, – you know, lives and breathes with the success of Mississippi State. I've had to talk him off the ledge many, many times. But uh, when it comes to getting your mortgage done, he's not quite as emotional because he is the professional. That's, again, closedblair.com. All right, our friend Melanie Moody 
Been listening to us for a long time, made some top 10 suggestions. Had a great one. Hit me up uh, last night, I guess it was, and said, hey, with Matthew Perry dying, you know, the star from Friends, how about a friends list? So we're going to have a friends list today. No, not on like your MySpace friends list. Not, not, that, not that. Or Facebook or whatever. Uh, we're going to have songs about friends. And I've been very blessed in my life to have some great friends. I'm sure many of you feel the same way. Uh, one of the things that I would hope, and is the longer that I have lived, this is one of the things that um, probably one of the most important aspects of life. You need to ensure that your good friends are good people encouraging you to do good things in life. I've had some, quote, good friends that were basically co-conspirators in my demise. And there are a lot of people out there that uh, misery loves company. I could give you a lot of stories, you know, about people's, quote, friends. You know, be careful that you don't know the, that you learn the difference between an acquaintance and a friend. You know, I, I remember when we left Baton Rouge, it's like there's some people you never hear from anymore. You know, it's like, oh, these are my friends. I went to lunch with these people all the time. I work with all these people, and it's like, well, what happened? Well, people move on in life. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that they weren't really your friends. They were friendly. They're just your coworkers. You know, one of the things that I've learned about life, too, is uh, the people that we should prioritize in our life and the people that we gather around our bedside in our final moments. So when it comes down to it, when you got to make the decision, not to say, that, hey, you go out and have a night with the guys or, you know, big weekend with the girls or whatever. I mean, yeah, all that stuff's important. It is. But not at the detriment of the people that matter most. True story. And the older I get, the more that matters to me. All right, so our friends list today, top ten. There is no uh, friends in low places, so that would be a, uh, a, a surefire top ten pick. But, uh, you know, Garth's not on iTunes. So, and we're not going to do like some, some uh, cowboy redneck rendition cover song of a Garth Brooks classic. I'm not going to do it. So, no friends in low places. But number 10, uh, Rowan Stone's Waiting on a Friend. I remember, and this is not really consistent with a lot of the catalog. It's a little bit different. But I dig it, and it fits our, our theme today. So, Waiting on a Friend. From the Rolling Stones, number 10. Number 9, an artist that many of you don't know. And if you've lived a long time, you remember the name. And if you were an MTV fan, you can remember the song. But it's Harry Nielsen. It's the song Best Friend. Let me tell you about my best friend. It's the theme from Robin Big, how great that show was. And, you know, Big Black, of course, a Mississippi State fan. God rest his soul. Used to follow me on Twitter. It meant so much to me that Big Black followed me on Twitter. I don't. I've, of all the people that follow me on Twitter, that one maybe meant the most to me. To be honest, it's true. But Harry Nilsson, What's interesting about Harry? This is a guy that kind of found it later in life. Like he had already become like a computer programmer and began to experiment with overdubbing and uh, put together some close harmonies and things like that. Uh, Harry Nilsson and the band Nilsson. One day, uh, I guess it was John Lennon in an interview, was asked about who was his favorite American act was, and he said Nielsen. And it's ironic that you know they sound so much like the Beatles. And Harry was referred to by many across the pond as the American Beatle because uh, a lot of the stuff they did sounded very reminiscent of the Beatles. And uh, eventually, John Lennon and Harry Nielsen did some work together. 
And then after John Lennon was shot and killed, Harry Nilsson basically put his life and career on hold and went to work uh, for gun control in our country and was never really the same artist again. You know, he had lost one of his heroes and lost a great friend. And so um, kind of move forward. And so, you know, the life of times of Harry Nilsson is very interesting. I don't think there's enough for us to do a top ten list, and I don't know how many of you would, would listen to it. But uh, I thought maybe those of you that were Robin Big fans would be interested to know kind of where the, story, where the song comes from and uh, who's involved. Number eight, another song that uh, many of you know from a TV show. It's Andrew Gold's Thank You for Being a Friend. Now, you, many of you know it from the Golden Girls, and that's a cover version. And a little bit interesting, too, that the guy that wrote the song is Andrew Gold and ended up being the Golden Girls. But uh, thank you for being a friend. Great song. It's amazing, too, how many of these friend songs came from the 70s. Yeah, maybe it's a little different day. But uh, a lot of these classic friend songs from the 70s. Number seven, a more modern artist, Mariah Carey. And at some point, I think she's been everybody's crush. I think at some point. At some point, it's true. Uh, Anytime You Need a Friend, great song, very, very well performed by one of the greatest female vocalists of my life, for sure. Number six, going back to my youth, I remember having this on cassette. It's Houdini's Escape, but the song is Friends. Friends, how many of us have them? Great song. Uh, One of the pioneers of real rap music in America, which is where rap began, but uh, the Houdini Escape album, for some of you young bucks who are looking for the pioneers of the genre, maybe go back and check that one out. That's the one with Freaks Come Out at Night. It's a great track. But friends, before we go any further, let's be friends. All right, number five. I remember the first time I saw TLC. Believe it or not, I was locked up. It was. True story. Uh, TLC, the um, amazing trio. And you kind of wonder where they had been our whole lives, right? I mean, it's like they just kind of come out of nowhere with this crazy fashion and they amazingly talented. And of course, we lost um, left eye in a you know, crazy accident. It was nuts. But uh, and that first album particularly really, really struck my fancy. But we're going to go for that first album and we're going to go, what about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Will they let you down? Great track. And it's very danceable, too. So if you're looking for something to dance to today, uh, maybe pull up uh, Ooh on the TLC tip. There you go. All right, number four, and again, a song from my my youth, and I I think it was like number one forever. It's a Stevie Wonder song where it brings in Elton John and Dionne Warwick and others. That's what friends are for. And I don't know what it was about the 70s or 80s. We seem to really value our friends, you know, back before the uh, BFF stuff, you know, every 30 days. But uh, great track. And uh, again, Stevie Wonder, a musical genius. So privileged in many respects to be alive during the Stevie Wonder era. Number three, one of my favorite bands of all time. No list would be complete about friends without working in Queens. You're my best friend. That's your number three track today. You're my best friend. Number two, we mentioned the Beatles earlier, as Harry Nelson was considered the American Beatle. We're going to go with the Beatles, even though many of you probably know this song as a joke. Uh, Cocker song. It's Beatles. I get by with a little help from my friends. And again, I don't know what it was about the era, but these songs are timeless. Maybe you all should have better friends that write songs about you. But number one, in honor of Matthew Perry, 
And the great show, Friends, what a great part of our lives for many years. And uh, initial reports are that Matthew Perry, an accidental drowning. And, and how crazy is that? 54 years of age, and uh, Matthew got its in, was in recovery and did a lot to help people in recovery. And, uh, you know, the, it's a thing, one of the, the questions that I always have, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, hey, you know, when you get to heaven, what are you going to say? What are you going to think? What are you going to do? You know. I don't know, but one of the questions that I have is about young people dying, you know, and uh, I know there's always a plan, and as David Turner told me years ago, you know, God makes no mistakes, and so we always look at that, and as tragic as the situation is with Matthew Perry, you know, maybe he just simply put in his time, maybe he had fulfilled his purpose on this earth and moves forward, but uh, the show Friends, a part of our lives for, you know, goodness, I guess about a part of 20 years now, because, uh, you know, the reruns are syndicated, and you can still watch them, and... Uh, you know, really, really good show. A lot of humor in the show. A lot of good lessons in the show. A lot of attractive people in the show. Uh, but yeah, it's a sad deal. So in honor of Matthew Perry, in honor of, uh, of our friends, we're going to go with the Rembrandts, I'll Be There For You, the theme song from the show, Friends. Uh, thanks for the suggestion, Melanie. If you guys have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. You can find our great list on Spotify under that same handle, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Be sure and hit me up. I can't promise you I'll see it. I just, matter of fact, I just went going through my Facebook uh, other day, and somebody popped up, and all of a sudden I see that I've got a message pending that I never got. So I can't guarantee I'm going to get them all. Uh, best thing to do is to hit up Roy, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best. And uh, thanks, as always, to uh, Blair Chandler at Close It Blair for sponsoring our top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Be sure and hit them up next time you're in town. If you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further than Campus Bookmart. Go by and see their smiling faces, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. Take that turn off 182 at the Trooper Station. Follow it on around and on the left-hand side, just before you get to campus, there's Campus Bookmart. Go in and outfit your family, your home, your pet, whatever you have with Mississippi State merchandise direct from a Starkville, Mississippi business. That's Campus Bookmark. If you can't make it to town and you'd still like to support them, campusbookmark.net, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet. Be sure and use that uh, to find your Christmas selections. Every Bulldog fan wants new Mississippi State merchandise. You can never have enough. Best place to get it, campusbookmart.net. And by being a Loyola Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Let's take a quick look at the SEC weekend that was. Be a much busier weekend this weekend, as we do have some teams kind of jumping out of conference play. But uh, other than our game, the weekend went to script uh, for the most part. A&M, 30-17 winners over South Carolina. You look at this South Carolina team now, and you really wonder how they're going to be bowl eligible. You do. Uh, a lot of it, too, it, it's not some breaking news segment here. South Carolina was going to go as far as Spencer Rattler could take them. Just not a strong enough supporting cast around him. I understand they're down to just seven scholarship offensive linemen. That's tough. I don't care who you are, where you're from. I don't know how many they carry. I would suspect it's somewhere around 15. Uh, but when you have 
50% or less of your scholarship linemen available to you, it's going to be a difficult undertaking. 30 to 17 winners for A&M. Now, South Carolina should be able to win the next two. They're two and six. They got to win out to be bowl eligible. Jacksonville State this weekend, that's a dub. Vandy at South Carolina, that's a dub. That gets you to four and six. Then you've got to play a pretty good Kentucky team, and then you get Clemson. So what are the chances of South Carolina winning out? I would say probably not much. Now, what does that mean moving forward for Shane? I I don't think that's an issue. Like, I don't think that he is on the hot seat, as some may suggest. I think he definitely gets another year. But it's going to be a difficult year this year. And then you look at next year, uh, what does that group look like without Spencer Rattler? It's tough. It's tough. Georgia, 43-20 winners. And then Kirby takes a, a nice little shot at Dan Mullen for picking Florida to win the game. The game really wasn't close. One of the most complete games that Georgia has played all year. Uh, 43-20 winners. And now you start looking at Florida and saying, okay, Where's the path to bowl eligibility there? Well, it certainly exists. You got one game left you need to win, and that's probably coming to come this weekend. Probably their best chance for a win down the stretch is the only unranked team they're going to face, Arkansas, who's coming in off an open date with a brand-new play caller on offense. If you're Florida, you don't really know what to expect, but Florida's been very, very, very good at home this year. You know, of course, wins over Vanderbilt, you'd expect that. Wins over Charlotte, you'd expect that. They do get Tennessee, probably the biggest win. But uh, 4-0 at home, they'll get the Razorbacks in the swamp. We'll pick that game later this week. That could be interesting. I just don't know that Arkansas has the horses to match up athletically with Florida. But, you know, we keep beating that same drum. But then every time Florida has to play a team of equal or superior athleticism, they really struggle. They do. So they get a dub there. Then you got to go to LSU, number 13, then Missouri, 14, and then you get Florida State in the rivalry game. And Florida State, obviously, uh, a favorite uh, to make the playoff at this point. So if you're Florida, you got to cut hay while the sun is shining. That's probably this weekend. Tennessee and Kentucky. Tennessee wins that game 33 27, but what a game it was. Give the Wildcats a lot of credit. We knew playing in Lexington. It would be a little more difficult. And not to mention, this Tennessee offense just hadn't been the same without Hinton Hooker. Uh, very, very special player. But Tennessee jumps out to a 10 0 lead. A very eventful second quarter. 30 points scored in the quarter, 13 of them by Tennessee, but it's 23 17 at the break. And then in the, in the second half, they, it's basically um, you know half a dozen one way, six the other. Both teams score 10 points, and Tennessee hangs on to win on the road. Pretty big ball game. Pretty big ball game, to say the least. Kentucky gets to within a touchdown late uh, with a field goal and just can't get the ball back. And, and Milton, good game for him, 18 of 21, 228 yards and a touchdown. Kind of played within himself. Uh, this weekend's opponent, obviously, for Mississippi State's Kentucky. Leary, former NC State quarterback, 28 of 39 against that Tennessee defense for 372 yards. I'm sure he is chomping at the bit to get to Davis Wade Stadium. You will see how things play out. But when you look at this Kentucky team, again, a team that we thought would be, you know, around 500, 
there's a good chance they end up around 500, five and three right now. Need one more win to get bowl eligible. Not a lot of room for error here. They, they they're gonna have to do it on the road though. Kentucky comes to Mississippi State, probably sees this as a must-win game. Then Alabama goes to Tuscaloosa. Then the Wildcats go to South Carolina. Could be tough to pick that one. <clears throat> and then Kentucky at Louisville. So just one home game remaining in that one game against the number eight team in the country, the Crimson Tide of Alabama. So we should expect their best shot, certainly. Vanderbilt, the battle of the uh, Bowtie Bowl, goes to way of Ole Miss, 33-7. This game was basically over shortly after it began. Look up, it's 26-0, and the teams both uh, trade touchdowns uh, in the second half there. But it's 26-0 at the break for Ole Miss, and give them a lot of credit. They went right to work, got the touchdown, got a field goal. Before the first quarter is over, it's 13-0. And a couple of those drives for Ole Miss obviously kind of stalled out. And they were still able to get points. Ole Miss offense playing well. You can say what you want to. A lot of people wanted to attribute that to Jeff Levy. you got to give Lane Kiffin some credit. Those guys doing a good job up there. Uh, the Rebels now, uh, what, 7-1 on the year? As I've said for weeks now, Vanderbilt's done one in football games. Now you look at them 2-7, and 2-7 seven, and seven with uh, three to play. Auburn heads to Vandy this week, then Vandy to South Carolina, Vandy to Tennessee. I don't think you look at any of those games and say, yeah, Vanderbilt's going to win that one. So staring 2-10 and 10 right in the face. We'll take a quick look ahead at the weekend. We won't preview it. We'll just kind of give you guys a few comments about it. And again, a very busy schedule. Texas A&M at Ole Miss. And you wonder if you get Ole Miss looking ahead a little bit to Georgia. I don't know. And A&M, obviously a better team than they were a year ago. Uh, Max Johnson doing, good, doing some good things. But we'll see. UConn's at Tennessee. That shouldn't be much of a ball game. Of course, Arkansas, Florida, we mentioned that. Jacksonville State travels to South Carolina. Missouri at Georgia. Now, you may recall last year, Missouri gave Georgia all they wanted and then some. Everybody looked up at that game and like, hey, what's happening here? Right? And that's, that's kind of how it played out. And Georgia finally got it together. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't the runaway game that me, most people expected. I know I expected Georgia to go in there and just kind of handle business. Well, they didn't. And kind of looking back here, as you hear me clicking, uh, Georgia wins 26-22 over a 2-2 two and two Missouri team at the time. Of course, Afford lost there, uh, you know, 2-3. and three. But it's 16-6 in favor of Missouri at home at halftime. You get into the fourth quarter, and you start thinking about this. It's 19-12 to 12 in favor of Missouri. So you're up a score at home against the number one team in the country, and talent shows up. It always does. The Georgia Bulldogs with 14 points there in the fourth quarter. That's a win the ball game. This one's going to be in Athens, though. And you know as well as I do, Kirby Smart – not going to let his team forget how they played last year against Missouri, a much better Missouri team this year. So they will have Georgia's full attention. Auburn's at Vanderbilt. Don't expect much there. And Kentucky's at Mississippi State. Again, it's it's a must-win game for both teams. LSU at Alabama. That'll be playing around the same time we are. Primetime with CBS. So we have the CBS doubleheader, Missouri at Georgia, and then LSU at Alabama. 
the way this LSU offense is playing, you start thinking they got a real chance. And if Alabama wins this week, for all intents and purposes, they kind of wrap up the West, barring something totally unforeseen. And again, every time we count Alabama out, they just keep finding a way to get it done. Of course, 5-0 and in the Southeastern Conference. You win this week, and what you have left, if you're the Tide, is at Kentucky, Tennessee Chattanooga, and then the Iron Bowl. Now, if you had to pick those games today, those final three, I think you're picking the Tide. So if you can get through this hurdle with LSU, it's big. But you start thinking if you're Kentucky, I'd love to get them coming off LSU because of the fact there's going to be such an emotional and physical investment made in this ballgame. So uh, very, very good week and slate of games here in the Southeastern Conference. Later this week, we'll kind of talk about uh, where things look and how things look, and we'll dig into some of this, uh, you know, dig into some of the uh, injury reports and things like that. But, uh, yeah, should be a fun, fun week if you're a college football fan because there's a lot of games to watch. And, again, no really marquee matchups outside of the league this week, but uh, should be some really, really good games. And, of course, two on CBS between top 15 uh, ranked opponents, four top 15 teams will face off in two games on CBS. Of course, CBS parent network of 247 Sports, where we are the Mississippi State affiliate. Let's get ready to kind of move ahead here uh, as we begin to kind of consider – you know, what's next for the Bulldogs. Uh, before we get into some of Zach Arnett's statements and some other things that I want to say about the Arnett situation, I do want to go back and spend a few minutes talking about this basketball game yesterday. Of course, we had full coverage of the event. Uh, no streaming available yesterday either. I know many of you were excited about that. It was initially supposed to be put on ESPN+. Plus. Real quick, too, in case you haven't heard, Mississippi State and Texas A&M on the road at College Station November 11th, that game is going to be under the lights. It's a 6.30 ball game, 6.30. So 6.30 this Saturday against Kentucky, and then we'll go go to A&M for a night game too. You already know about the Iron Bowl, I mean Egg Bowl. So a lot of uh, Bulldog football going to be played under the lights down the stretch. We always talk about we hate those 11 a.m. kicks. Not going to get any this year, not many at all. You know, obviously – had some non-conference games. But uh, down the stretch, again, this other Miss game will be 11 a.m. Yeah, so we know our our start times the rest of the year. Three 6.30 games, and then the Southern Miss game is at 11 a.m. That's also Military Appreciation Day. All right, uh, basketball. We've got video up over at jeanspage.com where you can go see Chris Jan's recap yesterday's uh, event, Jaquan Scott and uh, Josh Hubbard as well. Those are available for free over at Gene's page. Be sure and, uh, and go check that out. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it was not the game that many of us maybe hoped to be, right? And you don't expect you know, to hit the ground running without Tolu Smith. So an important lesson learned here, you know, this Southern Miss team was good last year in their conference. Not sure what they're expecting this year. Uh, but look at the box score from yesterday. Uh, DJ Jeffries, uh, 4 of 10 from the floor, pulled down seven rebounds. Good to have him back. I know he's a little bit erratic at times as a three-point shooter, but it's a high-energy guy, to say the least. Uh, But 11 points for him. That's the second most on the team. Cam Matthews, just kind of the glue guy for us, 3 for 3 from the floor, 3 of 5 from the line, Uh, six rebounds, nine total points for him. Jimmy Bell Jr., and we're going to need Jimmy to play well. 
We are. At times, we employed a three-game lineup yesterday. Don't know how well that's going to work. Uh, but Jimmy Bell going to have to step up and, and play some of these minutes that were previously allocated for Tolu Smith. He was one of three from the floor and nine rebounds, uh, two total points on the game. That's not going to help. We're going to have to have a much bigger offensive contribution from him. Uh, Shaquille Moore, three of eight from the floor, one of four from beyond the arc, one of four from free throws. That's got to get better. State did not shoot it well from the charity stripe yesterday. Uh, Shaquille with five rebounds, also fouled out of the game, eight total points. Deshaun Davis, 0 for 5 from the floor, made a couple free throws, really his only contribution on the defensive end. Josh Hubbard, a lot of people are excited about him. Josh didn't start, but he played almost 22 minutes, and he is a volume shooter. Four of 12 from the floor, three of those from beyond the arc, made a couple of free throws, and led Mississippi State with 13 points. Uh, Guy Chol came in for uh, some mop-up minutes. Going to need him to to get some things going for us, too. Uh, Trey Fort, 0 for 3 from the floor. Jaquan Scott, 4 of 7. Sean Jones, Jr., uh, 1 of 1. Bulldogs, 20 of 53 as a team, and then 8 of 21 from beyond the arc. You know, we'd like that to be a little bit higher percentage, as does every team in the country. But last year, you guys know, we didn't have much of an outside-inside game. It was all about inside the arc and we needed some time, some people to stretch the defense and uh, didn't always have it. We're hoping Josh Hubbard can be that guy for us. Uh, but 12 of 22 from the free throw line, that's one of the things that really sticks out to me. You know, not even 50%, or right at 50% uh, for the Bulldogs. And uh, you pull down 48 boards, you out-rebound Southern Miss by 10. Uh, that's a stat you could probably live with. Plus 10 in rebounding usually gets you a dub. But uh, just a 60-54 to 54 victory. State with 15 turnovers in the game to 13 assists. Uh, we turned them over 13 times as well. They also had 10 steals. We only had nine. So you start working this stuff down. You know, it's going to be a challenge for us without Tolu. This team, in many respects, built around Tolu Smith. So, yeah, every game is going to be a real challenge. I don't think there's any question. And uh, Josh Hubbard with a big three-point basket. With some minute 30 left in the game to give State a little breathing room. They asked him post game, it's always been a comfortable shot for me since high school. I work on it in practice. Uh, Chris Jans believes in me, Coach Jans believes in me, and gives me the freedom to shoot the shot. Shot clock was winding down. I took it. We're going to need a whole lot more of that. A whole lot more. Uh, but again, we're expecting a good season this year. It's one of the reasons we're allocating more resources to cover uh, Mississippi State men's basketball. Uh, I want to talk a few things. Uh, I guess we need to go ahead and do our final announcement. Uh, if you're looking, if you're coming to Starkville and you're bringing a big group, not a better place to stay than a Stark Vegas clubhouse. And you can just Google that. You don't need some fancy websites. You don't need to log in. You don't need any of that. And you can book it through Airbnb. You can book it through um, all sorts of opportunities. But if you want to save some money as a Boneyard listener, book through the Evolve website. And you, when you do Stark Vegas, Stark Vegas clubhouse, you can just Google Evolve. And you'll be able to uh, put in BSR 10, get you 10% off your stay. And think about it, you know, when you're, hey, you're heading to the Egg Bowl, you're heading here for, uh, you know, baseball weekend, or you, you want to come in and spend a couple days and in the midweek with your family when maybe things aren't so much hustle and bustle here in Stark Vegas, go stay at the clubhouse and um, you got a huge property here, huge now, you could get hotel rooms for everybody, but it gets awfully expensive. Why not just rent a house? This is the former clubhouse at the golf course, right? Two wet bars, 
a very expansive kitchen. You got that fire pit area out in the back. You got so many things, so many amenities that are available to you that won't be at a hotel. Not to mention you can run to Walmart and stock up the fridge and drink some adult beverages at a discount rather than paying you know seven, eight, nine bucks a beer at some lounge somewhere. And uh, a great place for families is the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Uh, it is a very popular destination for many people. But for others, you think, I've never even heard of this, Steve. Well, it's benefit listening to the show. Stark Vegas Clubhouse. And again, book through Evolve, the promo code BSR10. And I get you 10% off your stay. BSR10 through the Evolve website for the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. All right. Not a lot from Arnett today. Um, I thought it was going to be the shortest press conference of the year, you know, for for a bit there. You know, Brandon Langlois had to ask a couple times, anything else? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big opportunity for us. This series with Kentucky has gone uh, really back and forth and favored the home team. And, again, it just kind of illustrates how difficult it is to win on the road in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, so that's part of the deal. And we've played those guys really well at our place. We haven't played them as well up there at their place. Should have won the game last year, but we didn't. I still contend if Jaden Crumbity plays in that game, it's probably a different scenario. Because they found a lot of success running between the tackles. I don't know if you do that with Crumbity in the game. Uh, so, uh, no real update on Will Rogers today. I asked on Saturday, probably a little more direct than I should have, but uh, I asked, hey, you know, it's certainly a different offense and Will under center. When do you expect Will back? Is there any update? They're being very cagey about that. My honest opinion is I think it's best. If we just assume Mike Wright's going to be the quarterback moving forward until we hear otherwise. A lot of people have said, hey, do you think he's back? Do you think Will's back for Kentucky? I know that he practiced more last week. And it's not a want-to situation. Will Rogers wants to play. Yeah, but Will Rogers has got to be cleared to play. You know, it's not a situation where Will's just like, well, okay, I guess I'm done. Now, I, I can assure you Will Rogers wants to be behind center helping his team win some ball games. Talked about that earlier in the show. Do I expect him back for Kentucky? No, I don't. Have I ruled out the possibility? No, I haven't. Uh, a lot of it's just going to depend on how he responds to treatment. So I think, again, the best course of action for everybody that cheers for Mississippi State, if you love Mississippi State football, is to throw your support behind Mike Wright for right now because he needs it. This team needs it. We're going to try to find a way to make some things happen. Of course, Mike Wright beat Kentucky last year when he was at Vanderbilt. Is he capable of doing it again? Yeah, and there were some plays that we left on the field last week. But I don't expect Will this week, and I think nor should you. And we'll update that as we get deeper in the week. Of course, no official word about that. But I think it's a tough deal. you know. And one of the things that I point out, too, I've seen so many people say, well, you know, it's just not throwing shoulder. Yes, that's true. It is. But what shoulder do you lead with when you throw the football? It's the left shoulder. Where do you get pressure from? Up front, in your face. So that shoulder is exposed. It's not like Will's just sitting back and saying, ah, you know, I think I'm okay. No, I can assure you Will wants to be on that field with his guys trying to win games. Also, when you get tackled, what shoulder do you normally fall on? Right? When you can control the fall, it's your non-throwing shoulder. So pushing him back out there before he's ready is not a good thing. It's not. And I know that, listen, he is as tough as a $3 steak you know, at a noon buffet at a strip joint. I know this. And the fact that he's missing time, what do you have, 39 consecutive starts? Played through an AC joint deal and his throwing shoulder. 
at one point. I'm not ever going to question a kid's toughness. It's not going to do it. And so for those people that suggest that, you know, maybe Will has just withdrawn himself, that's just completely inaccurate. Will Riders wants to be on that field. But I, again, suspect it'll be Mike Wright under center again this week. May change my feelings later, you know, if we get some reports from uh, some sources. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Will's ready to go. But I think, you know, you, you don't rule out the possibility, but I don't think at this point you can expect it. And that's the question people say, but Steve, when's he coming back? I don't think anybody knows. I don't think anybody's just deliberately being coy about that information. I think it just simply matters about how he responds to treatment. How does he continue to heal? Now, when it first happened, that was a big thing. Oh, he's back on the field. You know, he, yeah, he's not in the shoulder pads, but he's just fine. And it wasn't in a sling, you know, and so everybody thought, well, you know, maybe he misses a week. And then we get into that week of Arkansas, and it's like, you know what, it's probably going to be two weeks. And then early last week, some people said, ah, not this week, maybe Kentucky. So there's no firm timeline here for Will's return. But let's be honest with ourselves, despite the fact that our, our very much maligned quarterback, by many within our own fan base, I think gives us the best chance to win. You know, and, and that's just not me being a homer. I think we've all seen two weeks of evidence to, to kind of understand that we're a little bit limited, especially with the forward pass without Will Rogers in the game. I think we need both of these guys, Will Rogers and Mike Wright, to really uh, mix things up and hold people accountable. But uh, so no real update on that. He was asked uh, by John Sokoloff, our friend, any chance we could see Chris Parson at quarterback? I know many of you have asked that too. Uh, now, Chris has been running the scout team. Of course, he got a little bit banged up earlier this year. Uh, some people said he was out for the year. I, I was told then and continue to hear that was completely false. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack, Zach responds, uh, yeah, I think there's a chance, you know. And uh, that's just kind of, you know, Zach saying, you know, kind of like the old uh, – Dumb and dumber things, so you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, do you think maybe he could start and play some Mike Wright? And Arnett says, I think it's Monday. I don't think it's in my best interest to talk about all the specifics of the game. I agree. You know, that's the thing, too. We, we all feel like we have a right to know, and we really don't. We can't really confuse our desire to know with our right to know. Right? Anything that uh, Coach says that puts us at a competitive disadvantage is something he shouldn't say. And so having, you know – I guess some caginess about all this, about who we're going to play, when we're going to play them. You make them prepare for everybody, for every possible contingency. And so, yeah, it's one thing for you and I to get out here together and talk among ourselves and say, yeah, this is what I think, or this is my opinion, even though you know, maybe mine's rooted in a little more source than, than yours at times, and that's not to say that I'm always right, because I'm not. But when Zach Arnett gets up there and says it, it's, it takes on a completely different meaning. True. Of course, the uh, 98 team is going to be recognized this week. I don't think it's one of those deals that you have to, you know, you know, be too terribly, uh, you know, up in arms about. You know, 25-year anniversary, and, and the fact that it's been 25 years since we've been through Atlanta is, is an indictment. We had a chance to go back in 99 and 2000. We couldn't get it done. Certainly in 99, but the fact that it's been 25 years, when we went to Atlanta in 98 – I think most people felt like me. They're like, well, we'll be back. Well, here we are 25 years later. And uh, for me, that's uh, three kids and two grandkids later. 
we still haven't been. I remember something my dad told me years ago. We were having a big year, and he's like, you need to enjoy this because it's not always going to be this way. And we kind of delude ourselves into thinking, oh, you know, we've graduated. You know, we're in a great position now. We've passed this program, passed that program. There's always so much jockeying for position. And a lot of times that boils down to coaching changes. Sometimes you get the wrong coach. Other times the other teams get the right coach or vice versa. And when we hired Dan Mullen, he kind of upset the apple cart a little bit. You know, a lot of people didn't expect Mississippi State to be who we were. Next thing you know, we're the number one team in the country. And it won't be too terribly long, and we'll be celebrating the 25-year anniversary of that team. And I hope we're not sitting back saying, you know what, we, we hadn't been back to number one since then. You know, hey, it only took us, what, 100 years. But those are the things that I think about. You know, it's like, what kind of football program do we want? You know, I, I talked last week about Auburn. You know, the first 55 meetings between State and Auburn, only 11 were played in Mississippi, and three of them in Starkville. And I'm sure that Charlie Shira and everybody else that preceded him thought they were doing the right thing. I'm sure in the moment that felt like the best decision. Let's just sell this home game. We'll go play Auburn in Birmingham, and that's our home game. And it's not a home game, even though we had uh, you know a nice fan base there in Birmingham. We had a lot of uh, former Bulldog student athletes that came from Birmingham. They went back and settled in the neck of the woods. And so, yeah, while it wasn't Auburn, it was still in the state of Alabama. And so we kind of cashed in a little bit to the detriment of our football tradition. And you look back in hindsight and say, man, some of these series are so lopsided. Well, yeah, because we never had a home field advantage. We never made people come play here. And other people were like, well, you know, Mississippi State doesn't have the facilities to accommodate everybody. But at the time if we did and we took a check, we took a check and we made our young people go out there and play home games on the road. Never really a true home game. I'm not going to get into that whole LSU thing. But there was so much of that that we did that didn't make a lot of sense. And so I want to address a couple things here on the show. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, we've got to make a change. One of the things that I think we have to do is we've got to make good hires in the first place, right? Um, and so we talk about press conferences and things like that. Every decision Zach Arnett made in offseason made perfect sense to everybody, right? And I can't count how many message board posts I read. It's like, man, I am rooting so hard for this guy. This guy's doing such a good job for us. Uh, fended off the poachers from the portal. Uh, got a top 25 recruiting class to bed. Won the bowl game. We're like, you know what? We're in good hands here. And I think maybe some of us, including myself, maybe we deluded ourselves into thinking we were farther along than we are. Now we're blessed with the gift of hindsight. Now, one of the things that I questioned then and I'm critical of now, you know, I think, you know, the whole thing, maybe making a more gradual transition on offense made sense. Now, usually, and, and I'll, you know, I'll make a personal uh, aside here. When, uh, when I took over, like when I was in the furniture business, when I, when I took over a problem location, it was understood that uh, it was going to take some time. And that I had carte blanche to do whatever I needed to do. And so I had the confidence of knowing that my bonus was guaranteed the first year. That I wasn't going to be called on the carpet for, uh, you know, shortfalls and profit loss and things like that. Because we were in transition. Now, also, I wasn't inheriting a store. It was profitable. As Arnett inherited a team that won nine games a year ago. And a very veteran team with a favorable schedule. The circumstances are a little bit different. But... What it tells me 
is the fact that he made these dramatic changes in year one. He's probably like, you know what? I've got the support of the administration behind me, and I'm going to go ahead and take my lumps this year. i got a veteran team and, again, a favorable schedule. We ought to be able to be okay, and we're going to go ahead and change the offense this year, and we'll be better for it next year. Now, again, if you have the confidence of knowing you're going to get a chance to be there two or three years to lay the foundation for something else, you make that move. You don't make that move if you feel like your job's in jeopardy. You don't. Yeah, Mike Leach, of course, just shows up and says, all right, hey, we're going to make all these uh, you know, tight ends, either defensive ends, or we're going to trim them up and make them wide receivers. But, you know, Leach had the gift of having you know, a resume. He had a body of work behind him. So you didn't question that. Then you get Zach Arnett. You know, of course, he's been here for three years and was part of that culture. And, uh, yeah, we questioned it back then. You know, and I remember the very, one of the very first questions that I asked Zach as our head coach is, you know, you're kind of getting away from the air raid. And he kind of stopped me and said, oh, we're still going to run a lot of the same concepts of the air raid in our passing attack. And we haven't. And so those are the things that I kind of look back on our question. Uh, and everybody wants to know, Steve, well, what do you think is going to happen? Well, based on the conversations that I've had in the last 48 hours, there had not been any decisions made. You know, we're going to let this thing play out. Now, do I think Zach Selman's just going to sit around and just, you know, wait until after the Egg Bowl to say, yeah, maybe I should make some calls? And I don't believe that at all. I mean, good athletic directors always have a short list in their top drawer. That's one thing Scott Strickland and John Cohen and I – I talked about extensively when they were your director of athletics is you always have a working short list. You're always working on that, whether it be men's basketball and you play some mid-major out there that has a very interesting concept offensively or defensively and give us a lot of trouble. So you know what? I'm going to put that guy on my list. If I've got to make a change, I'm keeping that list, keeping my pen sharp, right? Uh, but, yeah, so basically what we are is, you know, a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, well, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Uh, my best information on this is that nobody knows because we still have four games to play. Now, is there a possibility that things go in the tank and we have to do something that maybe we didn't plan to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, what if we go out and we win Saturday? You win Saturday night against Kentucky, you're 5-4. and four. You still got a non-conference game to play against Southern Miss, who isn't very good this year, but fought really hard over the weekend. And let's say you get that when you get to six. And what if you win the Egg Bowl and you end up seven five? Yeah, am I expecting that? No. Am I hoping for it? You better believe it. And so I think you know having some some patience and some grace to let things play out is probably the smart play. Because there are some people right now that have already made up their minds that they're absolutely going to be a coaching change at the end of the year. And I can tell you, based on the people that I've spoke to, and I'm going to have more about this on Gene's page later, uh, I, I don't believe there's any credibility to those rumors. Now, does that mean that things won't change down the stretch? Absolutely not. There's always that possibility because there, there is more data to collect here. But I had one uh, person, let's just say closely affiliated with all this, tell me today that, no, our, our, our support is behind Zach Arnett and his staff and that we really need and want Zach to make it, which is an unusual comment based on some of the sourced reports out there among, uh, you know, the, quote, insiders, Dr. Evil quotes. 
uh, that the decision makers themselves have made decisions, but some people suggest that they have. And so what I would encourage you to do is be at Duty Noble Field or Davis Wade Stadium or Humphrey Coliseum and support our student athletes uh, regardless of who the coach is. You got a chance this Saturday to come out for a night game, spend some time in Starkville, create an incredible atmosphere, and perhaps that makes a difference. You know, I think about it, you know, every first-year coach, including the great Dan Mullen, and granted, Mullen inherited some pretty good players, but they recruited some really good ones, and Kroon was on top of a lot of that stuff. You know, year one, we went five and seven. And we should have been seven and five. You not agree? I mean, if Dan, a first-year head coach, maybe had a little more confidence in himself on how things operate, probably challenges that uh, Tyson Lee pass from beyond the line of scrimmage that wasn't beyond the line of scrimmage, it was complete to Leon Bell, ended up being a one-score game. If Dan challenges that, it's going to get overturned. Now, I'm not saying we get out there and score, but we'd have been deep in their territory and have a chance to put points on the board. And in a game like that, it mattered. You, know, you dropped the LSU game. It boils down to one play because we couldn't complete a pitch. And Dan threw quite a fit after that ball game. And Dan goes 5-7 and seven that year. And we, we win the Egg Bowl at the end of the year, and you know, it was an incredible situation. Much kind of like we're in now. You know, Houston, I those guys kind of had it rolling at Ole Miss. They were supposed to be headed to Capital One Bowl. They showed up in Mississippi State, beat the brakes off of them. And Dan Mullen just happened, somebody just happened to have a microphone, and they handed it to Dan Mullen on the field. It was like it was, you know, divine prophecy or something. How did that happen? How did we have a live mic handy in, on the field? And Houston Knight had made some comments that year and said, you know, we're getting strong, recruiting's going good, program's on the rise. And all of a sudden, somebody somewhere, I don't know if it's John Carrera or whoever, somebody hands Dan Mullen a microphone, and he goes like, yeah, there is one program on the rise in this state. It's right here at Mississippi State. And you all went nuts. We didn't even have a bowl game that year. Should have, but we didn't. We went 5-7, and seven, we win the egg. And we felt like, you know what, we are moving forward. The difference between that year and this year is that it felt like in every single one of those games that we were competitive. That's how it felt. And it felt like we were building towards something. I think that's kind of how we feel now is there's just not a lot of confidence in the building process. And granted, we inherited a much different situation this time. But you got to let things play out. I go back to 1996, and, of course, Jackie Sherrill had put together a tremendous uh, body of work in his career. You know, we entered the final couple games of the year, and everybody's like, you know what, we're going to fire Jackie Sherrill at the end of the year. And we end up beating Alabama and Ole Miss. And so I, I say that to just let's take a breath, okay, because a lot can happen in the month of November. People remember what you do in November. It's always the big you know, rallying cry, right? You may go out there and win six, seven, eight ball games between September and October. But if you don't finish, you know, the season feels somewhat unfulfilled. And let's say you scuffle along a little bit and all of a sudden you find it late and you win some games people aren't expecting. You got some juice scoring in the offseason. And that's what I'm hoping for. Am I confident about it? No, I'm not. But I go back to 96. I go back to, you know, 2007. I kept waiting for the bubble to pop, right? Because it felt like we were just kind of getting by on being lucky. And then, you know, winning a bowl game, you know. And so I just encourage you 
Take a breath. I understand there's four more games of football left to be played. There's been no decisions made, despite what some of the social media commentary would suggest. And uh, I have worked this from every angle possible. I started getting some concerning phone calls uh, Sunday, you know, after the Auburn game. And so I just started reaching out to people. Hey, what's really happening here? And so I just, again, encourage you to get behind this team, you know, get behind this staff, get behind this university, and then we'll see how things look a month from now. But trust me when I say this, there's nobody involved in the leadership of Mississippi State it's just sitting on their hands just kind of waiting around for something to happen. There's a lot of moving parts to every bit of this. And so uh, I'll be back with you guys on Wednesday. And uh, Halloween's coming up, I guess, before we get together again. Uh, many of you have already trick-or-treated. Many of you will do it again or do it for the first time on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not dressing up because every day to me is Halloween. And uh, you know, I don't need to go out and get a bunch of candy. Uh, but for those of you that are out there, be safe. Uh, for mom and dad out there, don't eat all the kids' Tootsie Rolls. I know that's always, you know, we've got to test these, make sure they're not, you know. I get it. I've been in that same position before. Uh, But let's see if we can't go win a football game this week. Simple as that. Uh, Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. And uh, in just a few days, it'll be uh, book release month. Of course, you hadn't done so, go to windthebottomfalls.com. Production's going to end somewhere around the 9th, and then they'll ship those books. So we'll have them, you know, two or three days after that, and I'll go sign them. And uh, we'll get them in the mail to you. Uh, so it's really, really close. I'm looking forward to hold that book in my hands. If, you, if you're unaware, When the Bottom Falls, of course, is my memoir, kind of life's lessons learned in 30-plus years of recovery from substance abuse and alcoholism. Uh, I wasn't always, um, you know, this jovial, you know. Wasn't always this little, uh, you know, your cup of tea. Might have been your shot of whiskey, but I wasn't your cup of tea. But uh, a lot of things in that book I've never shared before. And so look forward to you guys reading it. And while you're there, you can pick up all my sports books. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Dog Pile. And if you're not a member of our, our family of Maroon Misfits over at jeanspage.com, come be a part of that. You get one month for a dollar or 30% off the annual subscription rate when you subscribe now. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.